Shelter-in-place requirements are being lifted. Businesses and venues are being reopened. But how do we recover from what we've just been through and are still in many ways going through? How do we rebuild? It's a question the Oklahoman is seeking to answer over the next couple of weeks. We begin our journey today. For The Oklahoman, I'm Dave Morris. It's Monday, May 18th, 2020. We start with a coronavirus in Oklahoma daily update. 88 new cases, no new deaths. Oklahoma's number of positive COVID-19 cases now stands at 5,398, according to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. The Health Department reported no additional deaths on Monday. I recently spoke with Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt about how Oklahoma City has changed and what it must do to move forward. From his perspective, what does this summer look like? I've asked many local leaders, business executives, and small business owners these questions recently. We'll be rolling out these interviews over the next few days in this podcast, all leading up to a series called Rebuilding America. It's a collection of stories compiled by Gannett Media and the USA Today Network. The Oklahoman will have a special section of those stories the weekend of May 30th through the 31st. But back to this podcast, I also asked Mayor Holtz what he's optimistic about. Sir, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, you know, my my life still hasn't changed much, even though we've entered into a new phase. Um, and the workload hasn't lessened significantly, but a little bit. It's not quite so 24-7 COVID-19 anymore, but it's it's still a lot. Um, but we're hanging in there, and I feel good about everything we've done so far. And we're now talking about moving into a new phase of our reopening. Let's pull on that thread a little bit. What's, uh, what are you considering new phase and what does that mean? Well, we're following the White House gating criteria in terms of our timing. And in Oklahoma City, we look at that data every, every day and it's, it's symptoms, it's cases, it's, it's hospitals. Um, it's, it's pretty good criteria. Our local public health officials uh, have really liked the, the criteria that Dr. Fauci and his task force came out with several weeks ago. So that kind of tells you when you look at these things. Um, the substance of what you do in these phases is also um, a product of those White House guidelines, also what they're doing at the state. Um, you know, we, we don't operate in a vacuum. Uh, we, I'm only the mayor of less than half the people who live in my metro. So when the state acts in these regards, we do have to consider that. And so we have largely aligned um, with their openings. What we have done in Oklahoma City is place certain conditions on some of the high-risk activities to make sure that they are executed in the safest way possible. Um, to your question of what, you know, this next phase holds, phase two is really a, a much more modest transition than phase one was from where it had been, where we had been previously. I kind of joke that phase two is just phase one with bars. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not a very dramatic change. A lot of the same restrictions on the high risk activities like hair salons and restaurant dining rooms are still in place. Um, but it certainly, um, you know, it, it symbolizes, it reflects that we're moving forward and that the data is still good, um, relatively good. You know, I mean, it's still a dangerous virus and, and it's still killing people and sickening people far worse than a normal virus. Um, but relative to other cities and states and, and relative to the White House gaining criteria, we're moving in a positive direction. How has the city had to adapt to this? What sort of changes have you seen and made over the past, I don't know, eight dozen weeks? 
Oh, well, I mean, it's incalculable. I mean, it, it's, uh, we, especially in those first few weeks, our lifestyles were changing so rapidly that I think we were all, you know, suffering emotionally from it. You know, it was a very dramatic uh, change in the way we lived, everything from the way we shopped to the way we worked to the way we entertained ourselves. And uh, much of that is still in place. You know, we're not sheltering in place anymore as a as a legal matter, but many people still are in a, in a practical matter. I, my lifestyle hasn't dramatically changed. I still largely work from home. Um, and I think you're going to see a lot of people still continue their teleworking for many months to come. You know, I mean, we still have a virus and there's no vaccine and no treatment. Um, you're seeing us move into some activities that had been completely foreclosed upon for about six weeks, like dining in restaurants and shopping in some stores and, um, and getting a haircut. I obviously haven't yet done that yet, but um, people are, but they're doing it in a new way. And so they're adapting by embracing some sanitation and distancing protocols uh, to make sure that those activities are safer than they were before. What do you think residents of Oklahoma City can expect moving forward? What does Oklahoma City look like this summer, for example? Well, still different, you know, again, I, I mean, by the time June and July rolls around, uh, it's very likely that everything will be open, but I don't think you'll, I think you'll still see organizations. Um, sorry. Um, you can edit this, right? Yep. <laughs> and I'm the same way. I've got notifications flying left. And right. That's, that's just kind of the way things are these days, right? We're on a constant zoom. We're on a constant yeah. text. Maybe we're hostage on a group text. You know. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, you know, I think as the summer arrives, June and July, you'll see everything essentially open, but I don't think you'll see a lot of organizations having their meetings that are larger. I think you'll see travel diminished. I think that's still an open question, you know, about whether people feel safe on planes. Um, it's just going to be different. But a lot of things, you know, are returning. Youth sports comes back in phase two. So some of the uh, customs we're used to of standing on a sideline and watching our kids play soccer um, you know, those types of things will return yet at the same time, you know, as soon as they walk off the field, we're going to be slathering them in Lysol wipes, you know? So, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there will be, uh, elements of this new normal and everything we do. Um, what I think you'll be seeing behind the scenes that we're going to be having to do at the government level. Um, you know, we have multiple roles here and for a while people got used to our role of, of closing things, you know, and, and as that changes, you know, now our role becomes creating an environment where you feel safe uh, in the absence of a vaccine or a proven treatment. And so uh, we have to work on building the infrastructure for testing and tracing so that you don't feel like every time you walk into a restaurant, you're walking into a, a cesspool of COVID-19. I think that's an interesting conversation. And recently uh, I, I've chatted with various executives of corporations or owners of restaurants. And they're asking me, you know, as a consumer, what would make you feel safe in this environment? Is it the number of chairs at a table? Is it the glass coming from over there? Or should the glass already be on the table? Which would you feel better about? It is a, con a, a consideration, but it's almost at an individual level because we all have different comfort levels, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, that's one aspect of it. You're describing the sanitizing and, and distancing protocols that a restaurant may engage in, and some of those they may engage in of their own volition, and some of them might be placed upon them by government. 
but there's a bigger picture infrastructure that needs to be in place um, that would maybe make people feel safer regardless of all those sanitizing and, and distancing protocols. And that's if you had really mass testing and you had an army of tracers out there. So, so you knew that everybody in this restaurant has probably been tested in the last two or three weeks. Now, understanding, I mean, we all get it. Like, you can be tested on Tuesday and catch it on Wednesday. So, I mean, it's not like the test la- take, takes you two or three weeks. But, but still, there's a sense that everybody in this restaurant has probably relatively recently been a part of a test. And we also know, secondarily, that if they did test positive, that there was this army of people who went out and found all of their contacts and talked to those people and got them tested and got them quarantined if they test positive. And with all of this happening, you have a higher sense of, uh, of comfort that the people in this restaurant don't have COVID-19, that somehow they would have been caught, either through the testing or through the tracing. Um, right now, I don't know that you have a high sense of that. You probably wouldn't. But then that comes to privacy issues and maybe the scarlet letter issue of, hey, this person has it, or, you know, it's interesting the different uh, perspectives you could have on that as well. You're right. It would provide a a more of a comfort level. Well, it's still a free country. I mean, you know, our tracers are never going to be able to force people to answer questions or submit to a test. Um, and, And that's why you hear some messaging out of public health officials around the country. Hey, if you get a call or an email or a text, please reply, like, please be a part of the solution, you know, be, contribute to this conversation. Um, and I don't know, it's an, you, 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 you're, you're raising the issue of the scarlet letter is an interesting question because some people have theorized that our future will be one where those who have had it will be actually the, the, the uber citizens who, who are proud to have had it because now they are theoretically immune. <laughs> And so you may want people to know, oh, oh, I've had it already. I'm good. Like, you don't have to worry about me. You know, uh, that's a whole, that's almost become a, a science fiction world that we've been talking about uh, and theorizing about over the next two years. But um, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. Do you want to have it or not have it? You know, what do you think uh, on that train of thought? What do you think we've learned over the past couple of months? Because it still seems like there's a lot we don't know or we are still learning. Um, well, in, in many ways, we, ha- we have relied upon tried and true um, uh, techniques that literally were the same things we did in 1600, you know, I mean, like, just, just shut down the theaters, get away from everybody, you know, go hide. I mean, that was, those types of social distancing strategies are the same as they have been for hundreds of years. They are the only real mitigation tool you have when something like this hits and you don't have a vaccine or a treatment. Um, so I, I, you know, I think we just relearned things that we as a, as a people have known for a long time. On, when it comes to the virus, we probably haven't learned enough as fast as people would like. You know, we still don't, even though I just referenced this idea that you have immunity um, once you've had it, that's actually not proven. You know, we don't, we don't have scientists out there telling us that's a virtual fact. They just, they believe and hope it is true because that's how viruses normally behave. But it's, it's still so early in the research on COVID-19, they can't state it as, a, as an absolute scientifically proven fact. Um, you know, there's a lot to learn, a lot of work to do. Um, um, but at the end of the day, many of the, the ways that you transmit COVID-19 are things that we have known as a people for, for many, many centuries. And that's why, um, you know, we, we do some of the things we've done. 
But we also have learned, I think, if we didn't already know, which we probably could have, that people can't do that stuff and maintain that level of intensity for two years. You know? <laughs> and, and so we're trying to find that middle path now. And it's as much about human behavior as it has anything to do with the science of COVID-19. It's about trying to figure out, um, you know, what are the right buttons to push to get people to respect um, their own safety and the safety of those they love um, and moving forward in a long period of time, you know, and trying to find how we, how we navigate this, this path. And there's no right answers. Um, and certainly ideologues at either ends of the spectrum don't have them. You know, I think we're all just trying to find the right path that we can all live with and that is respectful of life, but also recognizes just certain realities. And one of those realities is that people can't shelter in place for two years, but maybe they can wear masks and maybe they can keep their distance for two years. All right, so final question for you, just based off of that, looking forward, what are you optimistic about? Well, I'm optimistic that from an economic perspective and hopefully from a virus perspective, the worst is behind us. I have to believe from an economic perspective, the worst is behind us, but that I also recognize that it's a long climb out of the hole. Um, so I'm optimistic about that from a macro perspective. Um, I'm optimistic that we have in fact had our, our peak locally in Oklahoma City as it pertains to the virus, but that's something we have to work out every day. And I'm constantly reminding people we can have a, we can have a peak in two weeks if you want to. We can all work together to make that happen, you know, but, but if we work, uh, uh, responsibly, we will we will avoid that. In Oklahoma City, from a more micro perspective, I'm optimistic about the fact that we entered this pandemic uh, we with literally the lowest unemployment in the country. We've actually we found that out a couple of weeks ago. It was you know it was bittersweet because we knew that a lot had happened in between <laughs> in between the gathering of that data and the release of that data. Um, but we had literally the number one lowest unemployment in the country. You know, just a few months ago, six months ago, we passed a billion dollar, you know, basically stimulus package for our community in the form of MAPS 4. And we still have that to look forward to ahead of us. Um, and, you know, things are still happening. And in the, like, as we talk, we just had this announcement of a potential deal with Costco for a thousand jobs, averaging almost $60,000 a year. It's one of the biggest jobs announcements we've, we've ever had here in Oklahoma City. And it's just, a, you know, a reminder that we had a lot going for us on March 15th and, and those fundamentals are still in place. And so I'm very bullish on Oklahoma city's future. And I think, I think we'll, we'll get to a place where we still, where we feel like things um, uh, that the future is bright, probably faster than people think there's still going to be some significant gaps. When you look at the travel industry, the visitor industry, big events, that's probably going to take, you know, a much, much longer time to recover. But, but I think a lot of aspects of our economy may be back to some level of normalcy with adaptation here in the summer and fall. Always enjoy the conversations with Oklahoma City Mayor David Holtzer. Thank you for your time. One, one final question for you, just out of curiosity, how many Zoom meetings a day? Might be? <laughs> it seems like it'd be a ton. <laughs> It's a lot. It's funny. I'd never even heard of Zoom until this pandemic arrived, you know, now it's, it's sometimes it's just one to the next. And, and then sometimes there's like a WebEx thrown in there and that throws me for a curve because I'm not as familiar with that technology. But um, yeah, it's, it can be, there can be days where it's five or six different, you know, things like this. Um, uh, but still, I don't have to drive anywhere, you know, it's pretty convenient all in all and, and a fairly efficient use of my time. So. 
I was getting three weeks to the gallon on their gas these days. <laughs> totally. Mayor, again, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. So that interview was recorded Thursday, May 14th. You can watch the full video version on our website, oklahoman.com. And again, more conversations about rebuilding America and rebuilding Oklahoma are upcoming on this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our digital products at oklahoman.com slash subscribe. For all my colleagues at The Oklahoman, I'm Dave Morris. Get out there, enjoy this fine weather. We'll do this again tomorrow, everybody.